She's perfect, and she's dark. That's why we call her Flawless Shaded. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today, we are talking about an N64 game that Maddie made us all play called Perfect Dark. Do we like it? Do we hate it? What do we think? Let's discuss. I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. Hello. Hey, Hello. my friends. Hello. Should we be playing cool spy music in the background of this one? Dun, dun, I, dun, that's dun, like all I've been listening to dun, for dun, dun, weeks dun, now. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I called up Grant Kirkhope. I was like, could you write us some music for our episode? I am very excited because next week I get to see Kirk Hamilton for the first time in person in like four years. Isn't that crazy? In years. That's crazy. Yeah. Nothing makes you realize the toll that the pandemic took to then making plans like that. Yeah, the three of us have not seen each other since Kotaka Split Screen live in really? like early 2019. Yeah, that was the last time the three of us saw each other. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Although we but see, we'll each, see other each other again. on video calls every week. Um, yes, we will see each other again at another live show on May 18th. We will all be, be in New York. Speaking of which, you can buy tickets right now. Still available. You can buy right physical now. tickets to see us in Brooklyn or digital tickets to see us uh live on twitch which is very exciting it is exciting i'm glad that i will see you at gdc next week because otherwise it would be setting a weird precedent if the only time that we saw one another live was, was for live, live shows, shows of our podcast shows? <laughs> but the precedent's there for maddie the Matt, only time we see maddie yeah. live is live shows that's true it's, i guess that's very true strange. no um, it won't be true forever no it won't Hey, did you guys know that Max Fun Drive is coming real soon? Max yeah. Fun so soon. Drive is starting next week even. Next week. And next so week. that is very exciting. Uh, we are a, of course, listener-supported sh- podcast, and we are able to make this keep happening because of all of you fine Max Fun members out, out there. And uh, if you become a Max Fun member during Max Fun Drive, which starts next week, you get a lot of cool stuff, including bonus episodes from us every single month. Um, can we say what we're talking? Let's say what we're talking about this month, our March oh, yeah, bonus for episode. Sure. We are going to dive into The Last of Us on HBO, which is going to be right. a fun, a fun conversation. All That'll of them fun. are going to get spilled. There is so much. There's so the much beans. to say. I'm very excited for that conversation. It's a, it's going to be fascinating. We're also looking for audience statements on why you love TripleClick and your TripleClick stories uh, for Max Fun Drive. So we'll include the details on that. There's an email or a phone number where you can leave a message. And um, if you want to join, go to MaxFunFun.org slash join. But we would recommend you just actually wait, wait until next yeah. week. If Give you want to be a member, just, just wait. You'll just get cooler hold stuff. Hold your if you just fire for a week. Yeah, you'll mm-hmm, be good. Mm-hmm, you'll be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Kirk, you have a thing to share before Maddie starts us off with the topic of today. I do have a very brief thing that I just wanted to mark that happened this week at the Academy Awards. I didn't actually watch the Academy Awards, but I caught up after the fact. I was very happy to see all of the winners, a whole bunch of very deserving folks from largely from Everything Everywhere All at Once, a movie I loved. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. there was one thing that happened during the ceremony that I just feel that we should mark on -hmm. this podcast. And that was that there was an exclusive trailer reveal at the Academy Awards. A world premiere. World there was a world premiere. premiere. Jeff Keeley came out on stage. No, just kidding. That Two of the happen. stars of The Little Mermaid came out on stage. 
to show a trailer for an upcoming Disney movie, and I just saw that after the fact and thought it was really funny. As much as we've talked about, oh, if only the Game Awards could be a little more classy like the Oscars. Unfortunately, I think things are going to go the other way, and the the Oscars Oscars are going to become a little bit more commercial like the Game Awards. I don't think I don't think we've said that. I think the Oscars are the most boring thing on the planet. But yeah, Yeah, which is which is why they need a a Twitch live chat. You know, people saying poggers throughout (laughs) for the winners, etc. They need uh emojis. They need more instantaneous racism, etc., etc. They need all that stuff in there for the Oscars Um, to really. Keely also tweeted shortly afterwards saying, "Imitation is the sincerest (laughs) form of flattery." Oh, did he? He did do that. He (laughs) did do that. Oh, that's very funny. (laughs) Keely is a funny guy. I gotta say, he's a funny guy. He is. He is. He he knows how to seize the moment, capitalize on the conversation, Mm -hmm. but. Let's let's get into our conversation, shall Speaking we? Of seizing the moment. Let's talk Take about us the away. video game. Yeah, let's... seizing the moment, the game that everyone's <laughs> talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it's everywhere right now. You know why? Because it's 2023, the year in which this game was set. It's called Perfect Really? Is that Dark. true? Oh, yes. oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't it funny. seem really it like a not really intentional. true to Doesn't the moment? it seem like it should have been intentional? Like I should have chosen this as a game that the three of us would play in 2023 mm-hmm. because it's set in the futuristic world yes. of 2023. Complete coincidence. Had no clue. Just thought it would be a fun uh, first-person shooter for all three of us to play because I, I won a little bet that the three of us have. If you don't know what that is because you're a new listener, well, you can go all the way back and listen to our video game predictions episodes and you'll get the gist so i made kirk and jason play perfect dark and i will say uh i did play this game not when it first came out it came out in may 2000 for the nintendo 64 i didn't actually have an n64 for what it's worth i did play goldeneye a lot at a friend's house this game was a spiritual sequel to goldeneye lots of similarities with goldeneye we can get into that but the version of it that i did play was on the xbox 360 it was remastered it looks a lot better although to our 2023 eyes perhaps it doesn't uh, it looks a lot better in the 2010 version which i played and i believe i played all of it in co-op or at the very least switching controllers back and forth with a roommate at the time, which made the game a lot easier for me. And I know that I played it on at least the medium and I think the hardest difficulty, which meant that this time around, when I played it on easy, I was like, wow, this is a totally different game because the, each of the three difficulty settings actually change the objectives in every single mission. Uh, so before I talk to you two about your experiences, I'll just kind of quickly go over the plot of the game. So this is okay, a mission-based... <laughs> I know, right? I, I, <laughs> My thoughts and prayers are with you as you I embark don't... on this adventure. Yeah. They lost me at Elvis. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, I, I don't, I I don't know to... why. Elvis, greatest <laughs> character in the game. Uh, so you play as Joanna Dark, who's sort of a James Bond alike, but she's engaged in what I would call corporate espionage, although it's sort of ill-defined, because uh, she also works with various... Uh, governments around the world, seemingly. Well, she uh, she's the president, the, but she's kind she of does. a corporate agent, I think. She works for the Carrington Institute. But she has a British accent, so you might think maybe she works for MI6, but as far as we know, she does not. Uh, so she <laughs> goes on various missions. She kills it's a heck like of a lot of people. It's almost like she developed in the UK, and so she uh-huh. has a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> or it's almost like she's a gender-swapped, sexy version of James Bond. Not to say mm. James Bond isn't sexy as well, but he doesn't He doesn't wear a cat suit with a zipper like that. <laughs> uh, and sh- it is also a science fiction story. About halfway through the game, you find out that aliens are real and that that is... 
a huge part of the the spy mission that you're on. Up till then, it's mostly just sci-fi tech. There's an AI doctor that you have to save in the very first mission, for example. But uh, yeah, it gets increasingly bizarre over time. There's an alien character named Elvis. That might be a reference to Men in Black. I don't know. I there, There's a lot of weird jokes in here. But I, I want to hear from you, too. Uh, was this the first time each of you played it? Jason, why don't we start with you? Yeah, so this is my first time playing Perfect Dark. To kind of set the context here, um, Rare, of course, the developer also made GoldenEye, as you mentioned. I played a bunch of GoldenEye back in the day on N64, mostly co-op or, or split-screen mm-hmm. with people, not co-op, competitive split-screen with people, um, which is always fun. I remember Odd Job always having the advantage because he was shorter mm-hmm. than everybody else. Uh, I believe that was the thing, and like the height was the only real difference. But anyway, I, and there was like no Odd Job games where people would play with like a rule, like no one could play as Odd Job. I remember mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you'd have to do all slaps or like mm-hmm. all uh, just... Slaps. The of big course. head mode, for of example. Course. There are all of kinds course. of silly modes. This game has silly modes you can unlock as well. There's like small mode and big head and so on. All go golden on. guns was another yes. another silly mode. Um, but anyway, um, this is my first time playing Perfect Dark in any capacity. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was it was a tough one for me to grapple with today for a few reasons. Um, one is that the controls and the shooting are just not fun by modern standards. They were back then, um, for sure. And I can attest to that playing GoldenEye. But like mm-hmm. you, if you ever try to play GoldenEye today, it is a tough hang to to use Maddie's uh, Maddie's words for describing Seacut <laughs> in two. It is a tough hang. It is a tough um, hang. The reticle doesn't quite move along with the stick. For whatever reason, it just doesn't quite. It just work. doesn't feel great. Um, there is this game. At least I was. I switched to easy mode for reasons I'll get into in a second. But with the with easy mode, at least there's an auto aim that yes. helps and makes it feel a little more palatable. But still, it's not particularly fun. I expected it to be a lot more stealthy than it was. Instead, it's more of a run and gun shooter. I expected mm-hmm. to be using like the spy gear a lot more than I was, but was not. Um, You're not I much had of a to spy switch now. to easy. <laughs> <laughs> On the third, the third mission was really uh, tough for me, or third level, whatever it was. The basically the end part of of the 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 anodyne, Dano, what is it, Dano, Datadyne, Datadyne, that uh, that building. The third part of that was was pretty rough for me between because the helicopter knocks down all your health, and there's no way to restore health in this game. And yep. I had a really tough time with the lack of checkpoints and the fact that you had to start from the beginning every single time. When mm-hmm. I switched to easy it was a lot um more pleasant to breeze through the whole thing but then i felt like i was really lacking the proper experience and then you can't switch back to easy once you beat one level as easy you can't like switch to medium for the next level which is annoying um yeah it's really tough um and tough to tough to grapple with today i think by modern standards for those reasons um, the story is whatever, the kind of incomprehensible. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that third mission, I mean, that really spoke to some of the problems I had with the game because at the beginning, there's a timer and the whole building is dark and 
you can put on your night vision goggles and kind of sneak around, which I thought was really cool. But then as soon as I opened, um, I could take out the first guy without a problem. But then as soon as I opened the next door to get to the second guy, he just started shooting at me and there was no stealth whatsoever. And the walkthrough I was using, because you pretty much need a walkthrough, recommended that I like open the door from the corner of the room. And I tried to do that. And it was just he just kept seeing me and shooting at me, which is very frustrating because I was like, oh, cool, I could do some stealth stuff. But like, again, it just didn't work. Um, and then the final thing I'll say is that the objective system is just complete nonsense. Like the fact that you can just randomly fail objectives and have to restart the mission. And again, the lack of checkpoints really hurts that. Um, I wanted to, ex- I wanted to like explore this game as if it were, as if each level was like a Hitman level and I could like complete missions with different ways and play around with it and, and have that kind of sandboxy feel where I was doing more stealth and, and playing with gadgets and in, in more ways. But the lack of checkpoints and the fact that like once you fail, you just have to start from the, the beginning again, just make that impossible. And so, yeah, I, I got to say, I did not really enjoy the experience of playing this game, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Kirk, how about you? Yeah, I thought this game was really interesting. Um, a little bit of a torturous experience at times for reasons that, you know, I think we all experience than anybody playing a long experience. The lack of checkpoints is a big one. Like mm-hmm. Jason says, the fact that you can fail, you know, some of your objectives and have to start over. So I played through the whole game on special agent difficulty, except for the final mission, which I finally just bumped down to agent because, like you said, Jason, there were no missions after that. So I was like, all right, I don't care anymore. And it was late last night and I was tired. And that mission is <laughs> lengthy, difficult. And then there's a really tough boss at the end. And if you die to the boss, you have to do the whole mission again. The whole thing which, again. Yes. Again, Classic. the checkpoint issue. So <laughs> yep. I think this game is fascinating, though. I mean, I think it shows a lot of the literacy that designers of console games had not yet built into the controller base game style, especially when you compare it to a couple of other 2000 games. Um, or games from the year 2000, uh, Deus Ex, which came out in 2000, and No One Lives Forever, which came out in 2000. Deus mm-hmm. Ex is really, I mean, kind of similar to Perfect Dark in some ways. You can tell that these the people designing both games were playing with the same ideas. There are moments in Perfect Dark where you get that kind of emergent, uh, you know, immersive sim design style. The Chicago level is kind of that way, mm-hmm. where it feels a little like the AI can be played with. I was reading in the walkthrough that I believe we all read, an IGN walkthrough. They said that if you go into this club, you can, one of your options is to disarm people. If you switch to unarmed combat, you can yes. disarm the guards, and then the guards will go and run away from you, and they'll open a door that only they can open. But when they open that door, you can follow them in, and there's a hidden weapon in there. So there's stuff like that that does feel like something that would work, uh, or that would be present in Deus Ex in particular. Mm-hmm. But of course, Deus Ex has a quick save system and is built around the whole idea of an actual world that you can experiment with and reload your saves and go back. And it's much, much more complex and simulated because it's a PC game and it's in the sort of looking glass lineage of System Shock and Thief and those games where this game still largely feels like an arcade game made for the Nintendo 64, which of course it is, even though Mm -hmm. it has some of those elements in there. It's really fun playing it. Because you, I can kind of see the way that games have converged. And now, you know, console, PC doesn't mean anything. But it really did back then. There were significant differences in the approach to design, in the controls, the approach to interface. Like the interface in Deus Ex is not great. It's very complicated. It's like if you've played that or System Shock 2, it's bananas. It's like a whole operating system. But there's a ton of stuff you can do. Where I found the user interface in this game to be, I mean, beguiling 
funny almost in how <laughs> ridiculous it is. But it's called Perfect Menu. Do you not think it's a perfect <laughs> it's, menu? <laughs> I guess they've got me there. Um, I, what can I say to that? I found that very cute. Very like Mortal Kombat-esque to just call things perfect mm-hmm. within Perfect Dark. You but mean how on. Mortal Kombat spells everything with a K? Yeah, it, precisely, precisely, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like to just have sort of a gimmick in here where people, right. people also call Joanna Dark perfect. As right, one of her right. code names. Because she was such a skilled uh, trainee, Of course, apparently. and the game itself is perfect. But no so, right, of course. So you call up your inventory uh, with the left shoulder button, and this sort of cloud of words appears in front of you. And then yep. you have to move a cursor onto one of those words in order to select anything from a different overlay, like an infrared sensor, or a new weapon, or a disguise. I mean, it's just your whole inventory is there in a kind Mm -hmm. of word cloud. But there is no consistent way, unless I couldn't find it, Um, and there is, but I don't think there is. Okay, there is no consistent (laughs) way to select things. You can't, like, cycle through with the D-pad, even, for example, where it's just Mm -hmm. each time you click the D-pad, it goes to the next one. You just have to use the thumbstick and kind of feel it. (laughs) So it's like the hardest part of the game. Furthermore, and I will just call this out as one of the only truly unforgivable things that happened to me when I was playing this game, one mission requires you to infiltrate some base. I'm trying to remember which base. Oh, it's I think it's the Chicago. Is the you infiltrate Area 51 a base in Chicago. Base or? Oh, okay. Sure. No, I think it's the Chicago base. Anyways, you have to get a um, scientist costume and put it yes. on. Mm-hmm. And yep. so, you know, you go through the level, run into the locker room. There's a guy there. You murder him in cold blood because you uh-huh. can't make you don't have to kill all the innocent guys but you murder this guy he drops his costume and I pick it up and I'm like okay I guess I picked up the costume so then I haven't read every line of the walkthrough so I like go to the door where the guy's gonna let me through with the costume nope he spots no. me and I fail so Instantly I start all over you. again because you need to select the costume see in order to put it on now you say that as though that is an easy thing to do but I think okay maybe I need to select the costume so I watch a walkthrough there's a video I've got running. This is because the text walkthrough from IGN contains sentences like this one that I wrote down. <laughs> Quote, return to the small side ramp that you passed earlier just past the blue-green doors. These are the kinds of instructions you have to give in a game where every single room and every wall looks the exact same as every other room and every other wall. Uh-huh. So there are a lot of times reading the walkthrough where he's like, go left, go down the ramp, the ramp from before. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I haven't been paying close enough attention. So anyways, um, I look at, I, there's a video walkthrough, which is easier. I watch him, he kills the scientist, picks up the outfit, goes into his inventory and it says lab clothes right there in the inventory. He selects that, she puts it on, he goes unarmed, and then he goes through the door and I'm like, oh, I have to equip it. So I go do the thing, kill the guard, or sorry, kill the scientist, pick up the outfit, open up my inventory, lab clothes are nowhere to be seen. They are not in my inventory. So I'm like, well, okay, maybe I'm wearing it. I go and I fail the mission again. (laughs) Then I'm Googling and I find on GameFAQs there is a thread about this because I'm not the only one to run into this. And as it turns out, there's only so much room in the word cloud of your inventory and it doesn't show you everything that you're carrying if you carry too many items. So you have to hit the select button to bring up your invent your goals, which is all I thought that was. Turns out you can actually go left and right in those menus and you can go to your you inventory screen which shows your full inventory. Then you have to press the select button on the lab clothes in your inventory. It doesn't actually tell you you've selected it, so then you just have to leave that menu and then you see that she's wearing it if you were paying attention. So that's pretty bad. <laughs> so yeah. anyways, that was a long story, but I think it's very interesting all the ways this game falls short in addition to the ways that it is interesting. And we can talk about them more um, 
more in in detail as we go. But yeah, this was a you know a rough hang, but also very interesting. Yeah. I promise I was not elaborately pranking you guys. I had such good memories of this game, but I am capable of admitting when something doesn't hold up. And I would say this doesn't, but I also found it really fascinating to revisit as a historical object and also as a challenge of just UI design, game design, storytelling. I mean, everything about it, I'm like, I've played games that have done all of the above better than this, but I understand why I was impressed by this, even in 2010, which in 2010, it's an old game. But I also played its sequel, Perfect Dark Zero, around that time, which is a bit more user-friendly. And I was playing, you know, Metroid Prime around then, also from similar time period, early 2000s era. And I've been playing that again lately. So I, I have I have a lot of patience for some old games that require walkthrough. But this one... Yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't know. I I I apologize, but also it was no, only no, like no. eight and a half hours long, so I feel like it was fine. I think it was really interesting. <laughs> it was good it was, for you guys. You ate your vegetables. It was interesting for me, <laughs> like I said, to play it in the context of the PC games I came up playing because this period of time was a really fruitful time for game development. So Half Life comes out in 1998. Maybe I'll make that a bet game sometime. I know I made the two of you play through Half Life too. Oh yeah. I'd play the first one, though. Half-Life is itself very, very interesting. And just a couple years before this, but on a whole other level in terms of storytelling and design, but playing with some of the same ideas, alien warfare, you know, the kind of emergent stuff, but a largely linear shooter. Then in 2000, No One Lives Forever comes out. I love that game. have talked about it many times. And mm-hmm. by 2002, that's when No One Lives Forever 2 comes out. The graphical differences between those two games are super wild. You go from totally flat what do you call this style of face where it's just like a person's face just a polygon just yeah just it's a like shape. a max Payne style is what the characters look like even in this 2010 version where it's just like mm-hmm. a flat face that doesn't move and then words come out of it and um, it's called the, painting on a pumpkin right it, it's <laughs> yeah, kind it's of what like it looks like like stretching like a photo printed out on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and then you and like bend the piece that. of paper yeah. around right. your face uh-huh. like as though that's right. a mask that's right. what every character in this game looks like right it has a kind of paper mache craft look or max Payne is a good comparison because max Payne had the what sam lake's face is like on max Payne. it's like a photo of him grimacing but it yep. looks very strange so that style of game just to put that in context so this is in the year 2000 in 2002 kate archer the star of knowing this forever it's worth looking up maybe we can find a link somewhere to see what she looks like two years later she has like Mm -hmm. a fully animated face her eyes are opening and closing her mouth is she's like expressing and moving and it was amazing looking this is just a couple years later because 3d processing came so far so quickly and then by 2004 half-life 2 comes out and you've got alex vance like talking to you and like fully emoting in in Mm -hmm. glorious 3d so this is just like a six-year period of time. Like, it's like the amount of time since, like, it's less than the amount of time since the PlayStation 4 came out. So it was really, things were really happening fast. And I think it was cool to play a game from this moment in that time period. Yeah, I also think this is a point where um, the 2D games from this particular era of late 90s, early 2000s yeah. have aged so much better than the <laughs> yeah. 2D games. Oh my because God, Because the 3D yeah. games, like, they're really just first... Day, I mean, Mario 64, generally considered to be, like, the, the pinnacle of 3D platform, or the, the first big 3D platformer and really a game that kind of launched the 3D revolution in games. That was, what, 96 or so? Um, so this is really just four years after that. People are still learning how to understand 
understand 3D spaces and 3D level design and stuff. And I bet if a, a level designer in the in 2023 looked at this game, they would just find so many like horrifying oh like principles violated. A non-level designing saxophone player had the same <laughs> feeling yeah. yeah. playing it in 2023. I think, I think one of the most frustrating things is just like how many dead ends there are, oh, which yeah. is generally not something you want in in or level secret design. doors, just straight up secret doors mm-hmm. that look identical to a wall. Well, those, I mean, that is a different problem. I think that's closer to the problem of like the objectives and everything being opaque and just yes. never really defined. Like a game will tell that each level will tell you like go and find the scientist uniform, go and sabotage the weapon, yeah. and never explain what that means. Explain where anything it is about it. There's and no I map. Think, I think that the games like Deus Ex are an interesting comparison because Deus Ex came out the same year, and I think that does a better job of kind of signaling to you what you have to do. I mean, there yeah. were a lot of games these days. I mean, Diablo 2 came out this year. There are a lot of games that have waypoints and mini maps and quest mm-hmm. markers and stuff like that. It's not like this stuff was was obsolete at this point. It's just the decisions they made for this particular game. But um, yeah, as far as the 3D level design, just the, the dead ends, the fact that every room looks the same in so many of these areas like especially i think area 51 is probably the worst of them all because every single door looks the same i'd say that's the most frustrating part of the game it's very frustrating frustrating. and at least for me it was the one that took me the longest to beat this time around i can't remember back in the day which one i found hardest but this one area 51 was the worst i think because I was using the walkthrough the least because I was too cocky. There's a part where you have to carry around an explosive box. And really yeah. the best way to beat that part is just leave it at the very beginning of oh, the yeah. level. Kill every guy in the Can't level and then go back to the through, box. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I I kept cockily being like, come on. I'm pretty yeah, good at on. shooting. I, I, can just, <laughs> well, I, can just, I can just shoot these guys before they shoot the box. No. No, you no. can't. What? Why did I think I could do that? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I don't. Know. Okay, so some of those moments are <laughs> are pretty cool. I remember having a, a pretty cool moment where I like learned the layout of a level and was like, oh, yes. okay, now I'm getting it. It's just that like the game doesn't give you a chance to enjoy that because as soon as you die, like you, there's no checkpoint. And mm-hmm. making things worse, and again, the reason that I switched to easy, where I basically couldn't die, um, and that was yeah. the only way I made it through this game. Like I would not have played through this whole game. And there are almost no objectives in easy mode. <laughs> Yeah, right. and there are fewer objectives, which mm-hmm. actually is a little annoying, but whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the thing that's probably most frustrating is that there's no way to regain your health. So you have to think yes. of it as like, in addition to trying to understand the objectives, <laughs> right. trying to learn the levels, you are also thinking of it in terms of survival mechanics. It feels almost like a roguelike. Yeah, <laughs> You're which like, is oh, each so you annoying. Take. And where the shields are. So there's shields yeah. around, which adds yes, some points to your health. And if you remember where those are, which, I mean, that that's kind of what I enjoyed about playing it this time yeah. around was the hitman aspect of it or even the dark souls aspect of it where i would just remember a level by the time i was extremely close to beating it and i would just enter that brain zone of not being annoyed when i died and knowing that i could do it extremely quickly the following time around and yeah. just completely maximizing every aspect of the play where I'd be like, okay, this is the best gun for every scenario. I know exactly where the shields are. I'm just going to defeat the level as quickly as possible, which is really like the fun 
way of which, playing this yeah, game. Yeah, which mm-hmm. would be fun if the objectives were spelled out, if, if yes. things were clearly marked, if the design was better, if there, if a lot of things were done right. That would be a really fun way to play the game. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm sure it was in 2000. I mean, this game is highly regarded. It's it's critically acclaimed. Oh, like, sure. I back mean, then... It, I'll it, also it, add, like I mentioned playing it in co-op for a reason. This was a lot more fun with someone else. Yeah, Because just totally running around, even switching controllers back and forth, like between two people we could both remember where each item was, where the secret doors were. So even playing on Perfect Dark Difficulty in 2010, I remember being pretty easy, which is part of why I didn't feel bad about selecting this game in 2023, but then playing it by myself and also being old, tired, and not having the reaction speeds I had 13 years ago, I guess. I just was like, wow, I this is freaking hard, and I don't remember anything anymore. Like, I think my tolerance or memory was higher back then, or, or perhaps just I was used to playing games of this kind. Like, in this time period, I was also playing a ludicrous amount of gray shooters on every platform imaginable. So, like, the idea of everything looking the same and some hallways or dead ends just didn't frustrate me in 2010 the way that it does now. So that's another difference. It's just I just didn't notice those issues in the same way that I do today. Yeah, I can imagine this being a really fun game for someone who only has a Nintendo 64 and just has this one game. And then you get into that repetition loop that you're talking about, Maddie, because I think it's really cool that they designed this game to have the uh, sort of additive approach to objectives. The Mm -hmm. objectives are cool. Once you know what they are, like you said, Maddie, you can just fly through the level. And while as frustrated as I was that there were no checkpoints, that also meant that I got really fast. Like in Area 51, I could clear that warehouse out so fast, run through with the bombs so fast, get to the annoying blonde contact guy so fast, you know, get back. And I died at the very end of that mission a couple of times. I believe that was when I sent you the message in the middle of the night of these Area 51 missions are trying my patience. (laughs) But even so, the repetition was, you know, I could see how if you just had this game, you're mostly playing multiplayer with your friends. And Mm -hmm. then you'd be like, okay, let's go through a mission. And then you're just screwing around through missions over and over again. That'd be pretty fun. I remember having the same experience with GoldenEye a few years earlier. And also, Mm -hmm. That game had these cool set piece, you know, James Bondy story missions that I remember playing and being like, oh, this isn't very fun, especially because at the time I was like mm-hmm. playing Half-Life and, you know, then later playing Deus Ex. Like I was playing, I will say, much, much better games on PC. Right. Yeah. Whereas I was playing Halo. So, my, you know. <laughs> well, and Halo, actually, I was going to mention that earlier, not to get mm-hmm. sidetracked from my own train of thought. But Halo is an interesting one to mention because Halo also brought some new first-person control ideas to consoles. And it's another mm-hmm. one, I think, to include in this whole, this, like, like kind of magical six-year time frame. Yeah. Yep, yep. And also has really big levels where sometimes you're running around and not entirely sure where to go. <laughs> but it's a little better at navigating, yeah. That's true. It's a little bit undirected mm. in some ways. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. The GoldenEye thing, I think you make an astute point, whereas... Yeah, I think Golden and I had two really things really going for it. One is that it was so true to the movie that if you were like a big James Bond fan and mm-hmm. you were watching the movie, you were like, "Oh, this is so cool!" Like, I get cool. to follow like this we're whole, in the yeah the Arctic base, uh, yeah. yeah, 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 or like the the tanker and the hangar. I Fighting on the, the dish of had, the satellite. Yeah, yeah, the dish. I remember the the missions all had just those like one word names, like hangar, like mm-hmm. bridge, whatever it was. Um, and the second thing, of course, was multiplayer, which really there had been nothing like that on the consoles where you could 
have this right. like amazing, this like really cool. I won't say amazing because even then it felt a little kind of busted. But like split screen, like competitive shooting with your friends. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else like it. And Perfect Dark. I mean, to be fair to this game, we didn't play any of the multiplayer either. Co-op, yeah. like you mentioned, Maddie, and you can absolutely imagine the it being the same. It was like great. on split screen, yeah. With your friends. Which yeah. I think, yes, yes. In 2000, if you had an N64, you hang out after school with a bunch of buddies and play the shit out of this game. Like you'd already bought totally extra controllers because you had mm-hmm. 007, so you exactly. were ready for mm-hmm. another game like mm-hmm. that. No, yeah, exactly. it totally fits and, in that context. Yeah, and when you're on your own, you just play Majora's Mask or something like that. Something that's right. like, a, <laughs> which came out the same year too. So yeah, I mean, I do think that there's there. This game does have some things going for it there, but like, yeah, uh, revisiting. The single player missions in 2023 is tough. One thing I will say, another kind of positive thing I th- I'll say is that playing this game actually got me pretty excited for whatever the next Perfect Dark that is being developed by, um, by Microsoft right now. The Initiative and, um, and Crystal Dynamics are working on that. That's a pretty exciting prospect, especially if they make it feel more like a spy game and less like a run-and-gun shooter. Because, yeah, I mean, I think that was the biggest disappointment for, for me, that I, expect- I came in expecting much more of a spy. <laughs> game than it actually did was. Did you enjoy, I really enjoyed the early missions. Some of the missions are even called stealth. Yeah! And then no, Joanna's no, voiceover. Shooting everybody. It, it definitely feels as though I know this game had a sort of torture development or, so Martin Hollis started out directing this game who was the director of GoldenEye. I've met him a couple of times by the way. He is a lovely man and just like he was one of the first people I ever met in game development. I remember it was at a GDC and I was like wait this guy directed GoldenEye and it was that feeling of Whoa, I played that game a bunch as a kid, and this is the guy who directed it. He's a really Mm -hmm. thoughtful, cool guy anyways. He was responsible, I think, or at least he and the people he was working with were responsible for a lot of the basic decisions um, around this game. Then he left kind of halfway through. You can definitely tell, or it seems to me, that there were some decisions made at various points that required them to square some circles that didn't really want to be squared. The way that Joanna is like, okay. I'm sneaking in. And then you go around the corner and, and she starts blasting, Shoot right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I started blasting. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. opening the door. And she's like, like <laughs> So out. anyway, started and blasting. Right. Yep, so she yep. she really likes to start blasting. And that, that uh, disconnect is present throughout the game. Her voiceover a lot of times implies that there was maybe a stealthier game at some mm-hmm. point that she could have been in and instead they're like I we can't make this but work. maybe it wasn't very fun and they right, were like just we just shooting. know how to have her shoot at the guys like there's a right. couple mm-hmm. moments where like she has to like crawl across a catwalk and like look down a, a vent into a room and like overhear a conversation for one of the cutscenes where she's sneaking around like there's a few moments that yes in theory you're sneaking in order to advance the story or she has the the cam spy is that what that tool is called or it's like a little drone have to use yeah Yeah. and you use it in a couple early missions and then it becomes almost completely irrelevant it's it feels like there are some vestiges of a much stealthier game here but i mean we haven't brought this up yet but i guess i should say like the real reason i liked this game in 2010 is because you play as a female character. Like, it really was just that simple for me at the time, mm-hmm. in much the same way that I liked Metroid, which luckily is a better franchise. Like, that paid off for me a lot more, yeah. I would say. But this game, like, just bare minimum, I was, at least in 2010, I was like, hey, it might not be good, but I don't really care because I get to play as a cool lady, and I don't really get to do that in Halo. So here we are. And, like, I'm not saying Joanne is a well-defined character. She's not. But it was a big deal to me back then, you know? 
Yeah, no, I. it's why I really would love for you to play No One Lives Forever sometime. <laughs> I think I would like it a lot, yeah. What makes that game remarkable is you're not only playing a female lead, you're you're Kate Archer, who's this sort of 60s super spy, but the yeah. story is about workplace sexism and her overcoming all of these boorish dudes, and there are all these twists and subversions. Because mm-hmm. it's set in the 60s, right? Yes, and, and, yeah. and so there's like direct references to the women's liberation movement, and even like there are all these things in her job that are designed to kind of make her feel, you know, to remind her that she's a woman. There's a mm-hmm. whole sequence in that game where you have to do call signs with people. You know, the, the eagle flies at midnight, but if the <laughs> cheese knife cuts the butter. But instead, they're all designed as pickup lines. So oh. she has to pick, pick up the phone and the guy on the other end will be like, if I told you you had a great body, would you hold it against me? I don't, that's not yeah. what they're a little more clever but than that. But it's like that. Sure. Yeah. And she has to put up with this environment. Yes. And it, but it calls that out. And she keeps being like, who the hell? Like, she keeps <laughs> referencing the fact that some idiot wrote these things. They never even say who wrote them. But there's a lot of stuff like that. So it's a much better written game. And that is something I would not hold against this game. In the end, the absurdity of it is uh, endearing. But wow, like the story does not <laughs> connect so or make any sense. I, well, it's <laughs> it would be a, a little more fun if they just gave you a little bit more of it. I'm going to, I know. I'm going to put an image into our chat and I want one of you... Okay, Jason, I want you to describe <laughs> the picture that I just put into chat for our listeners as best you can. So, okay, so you are holding some sort of gun in your right hand. You're standing mm-hmm. in a hallway that looks like a futuristic, like, alien-type hallway. And there is a little gray alien in front of you. He looks like kind of the classic gray alien with the big bald mm-hmm. head. Huge, huge forehead. He's holding yes. two guns and wearing a vest with that is an American flag vest with red and white stripes and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> The stars and some the sneakers. Stars. Don't and forget sneakers. his sneakers. He is wearing and on the sneakers, back of that yes. vest, it says Elvis. Yes. And well, he has performed. He has performed in a voice that I can only describe as someone in the office could kind of do a Yoda impression. That and so is they said, also what it reminded me of. Is like a you, Yoda. Do your Yoda impression. I'm alive. I thought I'd be chopped up like the others by now. You're from the Institute, aren't you? I recognize you from before. You helped me. Thank you. I'm Agent Dark, or Joanna, if you'd prefer. Well, Joanna, I'm Protector One, but you can call me Elvis. Um, so the voice acting in this game is... No, all of the voice acting in this game, even I will, like, Joanna's probably the one that seems the most like it was probably an actor, but so many of them seem like they just grabbed someone from the office. And even for the time period, again, to compare this to No One Lives Forever, like, there are actors in that game. They are funny. They are doing bits. They are reading lines of dialogue. It feels like you're, like, watching a cartoon. This is wild. It feels like almost like a mod that was made in the office. They literally are people from the office by the way i i don't okay. uh, joanna i believe is an actual voice actor yeah actual whatever that means uh but i i trained Blunt, i believe is is the actor i looked into because i was like what else is this guy in and he just his other credits are working on video games being a okay. being a game designer and i was like okay cool you know what <laughs> right uh, so he makes games think, he does not <laughs> yes, act in he games. does not so he he was in fact a guy working at the office one assumes and and got mm-hmm. to uh, record some voice lines so you're right kirk 
That's true. So just like <laughs> I, when Jason, when you mentioned the the new one that's coming out, something that would yes. be fun would be to take some of the broad strokes of this absurd story that starts as corporate espionage and becomes a proxy battle between aliens and whatever, and like turn that into something. Put a little more meat on the bones, like uh-huh. flesh yeah. it out, have some fun with it. This feels so slapshot. Mm-hmm. Um, slipshod so much of the time that it's yeah uh, that it's but kind it, of a it has disappointment. Something to it that seems like it could be interesting because the story's so minimal and so corny at the same time that you're like, well, I don't really understand what's going on, but the voice acting's very funny and everybody only says about three sentences total. So I feel like if I knew a little more, I would either be laughing more or it would be an actual spy thriller. But it never quite becomes either one of those. Something I think worth noting is uh, a little bit more context here. Kirk, you've talked about some of the PC games that had come out around this time. Half-Life, No One Lives Forever, Deus Ex. Um, This was a time when the consoles, the games you'd play on each console were very different. It's not like today where you're pretty much getting everything on PlayStation and Xbox or whatever. Switch is a little different, but still. This was a time when everything you'd get on PlayStation 1 was very different than anything you'd get on N64 and then soon to be Xbox was pretty different. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. on the PlayStation, at this point, Mm -hmm. you had Metal Gear Solid, which came out in 1998 and really, I think, blows this out of the water in a lot of ways. That game, don't get me wrong, that game is not a well and if you're going to replay it today you should play the twin stakes version which is a lot better or like the 3ds version which which have updated the controls and stuff but even at the time that game had proper voice acting that game had a, a story that was a lot uh, definitely bonkers. easier to follow well i wouldn't say easier to follow it was definitely bonkers but it was a lot it was a lot meatier than this like there was a, interesting ideas explored there weren't a lot of other this game is mm-hmm. not like exploring darpa and the ethics of the darpa commissioner and stuff like that doesn't really have a thought in its head honestly. No. <laughs> this game is maybe about on the level of a Halo 1. Where like replaying Halo 1 fairly recently I was like wow there's not a lot to this. I think the, the I think the point that I'm making here is that like if you if you not to, to get into console wars here but I think if you were playing games on the N64. No you're saying Xbox gamers are stupid. It's okay. I, think if you I were was playing, one. <laughs> I think if you were playing games on the N64 at this point, you didn't, and only the N64, you didn't have anything else to compare this to, which I think explains why, like, you might have gotten really into this game a lot more, yeah. as opposed to if you were dabbling with PC games and PlayStation games too, then it might have been like, oh, this doesn't really have the same sort of heft to it as some of these other games that I'm playing, especially if you were playing PC stuff at the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, this, this era is the reason that the joke about the PC Master Race exists. It's not actually the later era where PCs have slightly better graphics. It was this era where there was a thing where me and my friends who played PC games would play games like this and be like, um, have you guys like played Half-Life though? Like, right. do you realize what video games are doing over on PC? Because this is like not there. This is stuff uh-huh. that was happening 10 years ago on PC. So it, it really is like that is where that disconnect kind of was at its most pronounced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But on console, you could play as a woman. I don't know. I mean, it's like you hard can play no one okay, forever. Kate I mean, it's it, sure. <laughs> or but Lara like, Croft. I was out here playing some Metroid. Yeah, or if you were on PlayStation, you had uh, Tomb Raider a few years earlier. True. Which was on PC also, right? Yeah, I think of it um, as a PC at, game. Yeah, yeah, at some point. Yeah. I would say the thing that you really are getting with this kind of a game is the split screen multiplayer thing. For me, That's that the was the draw yes. that I loved playing. I put up with the GoldenEye controls, even though I knew, oh, I could be playing whatever. It was so fun to play with my friends on TV that that was. 
Yeah, because yeah, you, you don't have that on PC at all back then. Right. Unless you have a LAN party. This was like yeah. peak that era for me socially. So I, w- I played Counter-Strike. I mean, that was the PC game I was very into. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I we did a lot of LAN parties. But also, yeah. why, the reason I had an Xbox 360 was because pretty much all the multiplayer gaming I was doing in this time period was in person. It was all fighting games and it was all this kind of thing where I was like, right. let's all play Perfect Dark together. Let's all play Gears of War together. Or let's, Halo together. Or Halo together, yeah. et cetera. Like, that was my funny. life. Yeah, I was doing that with Diablo 2 on PC. Yep, so sure. Of course, same. Yeah, we talked about that back in the too. Diablo episode mm-hmm. as well. Like, almost everything I was doing in the sort of 2005 to 2015 era was in-person multiplayer gaming. And playing this again made me kind of miss that a little bit. Yeah. Playing, mm-hmm. playing Perfect Dark Alone in my office. I was like, you know what? I should invite some people over for some Super Smash Brothers. Like, remember those days? Remember that yeah. time? That mm-hmm. was that was cool. If only <laughs> if only we were having an in person live show in a couple of months where we could uh, play Splitscreen games. Uh, uh, maybe we'll put a projector we play up some and play some, play some Perfect Dark on <laughs> sixty four. That'd be fun. Oh, really Can we make that happen? Let's look into do. that. Maybe maybe we'll make something like that happen. <laughs> yeah, right after Tears of the Kingdom comes out, we will be playing Goldeneye. Maybe after the show, we'll set up a Smash. <laughs> we'll set up Smash Brothers for everybody maybe, to play maybe. after we'll, the show. We'll look into people, it. People people can line up and challenge us in Smash Brothers after the show. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Well, on that note. <laughs> I guess we can pack it in. I don't know that I recommend playing Perfect Dark in 2023, even though that's the year in which it's set. But I really enjoyed revisiting it. And I'm no, really, but we will definitely play the new one whenever that comes out. I, I'm glad that we all played this one because it means we're all going to appreciate the new one so much more when it finally comes out. Oh, absolutely. I'm very glad. Even if feel, it's just a feel... one-to-one remaster of this game, but they just add in checkpoints, that'd be great. Honestly, <laughs> can they just fix it? <laughs> anyway, let's take a little break and then be back with one more thing. Max Fun Drive. Hey, Chef, we got another one. Another Max Fun Drive. People know it's the best time to support the shows they love. You tell them I'll meet up days back? Sure did. They wanted to know about the live streams, though. Those are finishing up right now. We can even send one out on the first night, March 20th. March 20th, Chef! I'll give them a heads up. Uh, They also wanted the limited time thank you gifts for new and upgrading members. Yep, and we got some fresh episodes ready to go, too. All right, we got exciting live streams, meetup day, fresh episodes, limited time gifts. Oh, and Boko. Yeah, um, okay, let them know that Max Fun Drive 2023 will be ready on um, March 20th, and it'll only be two weeks. Two weeks, Chef! Max Fun Drive starts on March 20th for just two weeks. No problem. Order up! Shoot, I forgot their water. And now, a live reading from Rachel's Poetry Corner. Elephants Theremin's Clifton, Neopets Poorstrips Jepson, Pine Smell Jellybeans Goalie Goals, Skittles Squirrels and the Mole, Celery Chopsticks Pumpernickel, A Case of You by Joni Mitchell. Lullabies tie-dye the more you know. All of these things on our wonderful show. All of these things and more wait for you on Wonderful every Wednesday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. We are back. Uh, Kirk, why don't you go first? Sure. My one more thing is a brief uh, Classic Kirk one more thing. I can just tell. Um, this is Maddie reacting to what I've written in our show yes. notes. Yeah, so this is the beginning of a process that I will just sort of mark. And I'm kind of marking things on this episode. Um, and then I'll check in a little later to see how it's going. I am going to try 
to train myself to play games with a controller without inverting the y-axis on the right thumbstick. So I am inspired by Chris Plant, our friend of the show, mm-hmm. Besties mm-hmm. co-host Chris Plant, who was just talking about this um, on an episode of The Besties, talking about how his son and he have been trading the controller when playing games. And he is an inverter. He inverts the y-axis on the right thumbstick, much like I always did. There are a lot of reasons for that. Um, It is a whole separate topic. But he's always kind of thought that was really interesting and really liked inverting that he's a little different and inverts the thumbstick and like talking about it with people. But his son, when playing the games, you know, the same game is like, what, like can't get his head around it because why would you? It's a totally, uh, it's a way, it's a ridiculous way to play video games. So he's been training himself to play with a regular style, you know, press the thumbstick up and your look goes up, press it down, the camera goes down. And he said it took him like two months, but that he did it and that his brain kind of learned the new the new way of doing things. So I'm wow. going to try doing the same thing. Not for any real reason. Um, I do not share the controller with my golden retriever and give her <laughs> the controller from time to time. I think she wouldn't really understand it, whether it was inverted or not inverted. But um, I just think this would be kind of a fun thing to try to do. He said in that episode that it feels a little more natural to not be inverted, which makes sense if only because when you invert the y-axis but not the x-axis, it's just a little bit weird that one yeah. axis is regular and one isn't. So anyways, I've been trying it. And I did. I played Perfect Dark with uh, regular controls. And not a wow. bad game, actually, because of the auto-aim. You can kind of be a little loose with the aiming, and it's good for just sort of moving the camera. But uh, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to see how it goes. And I will report back in a little bit to see if I'm able to do it. Um, Really, it's just I want to try to make my brain do new things because I think that's just healthy to try. Hey, maybe can my brain relearn a skill that's kind of a, you know, not a super important life skill, but just something that I do a lot. So we'll see. Um, I'll maybe talk about it a little more once I've been doing it for longer and have a little more experience with different games that it's easier or harder on. But I'm giving it a shot. If anyone out there wants to try with me, um, let me know. Interesting. uh, how it goes for you. And uh, yeah, I will let you both and listeners know how it goes. I hope it works. I have tried it, but never as, in as concerted an effort as I expect you will be. The yeah. main time I had to try was for Danganronpa, which does not have the option to invert controls, but it's not a game where you really need to, to be yeah. inverted. You can kind of get through it. And I never got used to it. So I just was like, I guess, I guess I'm fated to be a controller inverter. <laughs> but Maybe not. I think if you, Kirk, do you have like a time a time frame that you're gonna like try? Yeah, to it sounds like a couple months, couple three months. months. Yeah, I think it'll kind of depend. I'm gonna do it on. I'm like playing through some Death Stranding and some games that sure. are like that where it's less arcadey, and certainly a game like Resident Evil, which I'll probably play with a mouse and keyboard, would be a lot harder since you have to really precisely aim, and it's very stressful. And the more subconscious the aiming is. Uh, you know, the more stressed I am in thinking about things, the more likely it is that I'll start falling into muscle memory. It really mm-hmm. is interesting how your brain has conscious and muscle like types yeah. of memory where a conscious memory is, OK, I'm thinking about this. I'm moving my thumb like I would move a mouse. I'm thinking about it. But then when things get intense and I need to aim at someone and they're really close to me, I'm not thinking I'm in automatic pilot mode. And that's when my thumb just starts going into inverted mode because it's a different part of my, your brain, I think, that internalizes things. Learning a musical instrument is actually similar to this, where things become ingrained in your muscles and then you'll be able to play something that you learned 20 years ago and you're like, whoa, it's like my fingers are moving on their yeah, own. Because so you're cool. kind of accessing a different part of your memory that feels as though it is your muscles doing it, even though, of course, it's your brain. Mm-hmm. Now, now, next, you have to de-invert all 
all your chords and scales. <laughs> right, I have to start playing guitar left-handed. <laughs> yeah, that would be kind of the equivalent. Kirk, have you ever tried to arm aim with the mouse as opposed to aiming with your wrist? I guess I'm making an assumption that you aim by moving your wrist I've rather than moving your both. entire arm in the yeah. esports fashion. Right, right, like lowering the DPI and moving in bigger motions. And moving your entire arm back and forth. Yeah, to I know that's more accurate. I've seen that people Supposedly. Could do that. I've played yeah. with it a little bit, but it's, I'm, you know, I never really got to that point. I've thought about switching. If I do, I will talk about it on the oh, show, yeah, but I'm yeah. a little afraid to make the jump. But then what if I became really good at games? You I think it'd know. be interesting. I mean, I really just like <laughs> this kind of stuff. Like these kinds yeah, of little tests and challenges for your brain are, are really cool. Yeah. All right. I'll go next. Uh, so I played a board game called Clue, Treachery at Tudor Mansion. And mm. uh, it's it's Clue, but it's an escape room board game. Okay. <laughs> but it's Clue. So okay. Dina and I played this together. This is a cooperative board game. You can only play it once. There are several other escape room type games in the Clue series. I got free copies of three of them, including this one. And I've only played this one so far. So it's card based and you also navigate around a board that is a Tudor mansion and you also are still selecting which characters from Clue you want to be. I got to be Miss Scarlet, etc. Uh, sure. And you're solving a mystery while also trying to escape the mansion. So this was how I found out that Dina had never seen the movie Clue and then I forced her to watch the movie Clue. Oh man, one plus two plus one plus two. Very plus important <laughs> and hilarious because the plot of Treachery at Tudor Mansion is the plot of the movie Clue. Oh hell yeah. Oh, oh yes. I have to play this okay. yes. Oh my God. Yes. One of my favorite movies. Is, is, there, is there like a real answer? Uh, There's a real like answer. There's a real answer. So as people mm-hmm. who've seen the movie Clue know, there is, well, I would consider the final section yes, of the movie of sure. to be the true answer but sure. there are multiple endings in the movie and in this game there is just one real answer that is not the same as the movie so you definitely mm-hmm. don't know who did it mm. and also they invented one character for the game not that that's related to who did it so please don't overinterpret that they just invented another person who's there i honestly don't know why i feel like it could have been the same cast it's of not characters, a singing telegram but it's fine that would have been great actually but no it's not the singing telegram uh so this was this was very fun uh we've gotten pretty into um playing escape academy together which kirk recommended a while Yay. back oh, hell yeah. and that also makes me happy. playing various escape room games in board game fashion uh, and I generally recommend Treachery at Tudor Mansion, especially if you have a partner who has never seen the movie Clue, because it's just more fun that way. <laughs> but I'll also say it's pretty easy. It's definitely easier than Escape Academy, definitely mm. easier than some of the other escape room games we've played, easier than the Hunt a Killer games, which I've also recommended on this show. I should say uh, the game's recommended for ages 10 and up. So if you have a 10-year-old who doesn't really mind murder generally and isn't scared of that kind <laughs> of concept and is willing to get on board for the mystery shenanigans it's a very kid-friendly game there's a lot of kind of clue movie-esque humor in the cards which took a little getting used to because i'm honestly more used to like adult themed sophisticated (laughs) escape room games Mm -hmm. so kind of getting on board for some really goofball humor antics in the cards was a little bit of rejiggering that we both had to do but i generally recommend it uh and uh, we pass it on to some friends who also like escape room games so yeah if if that sounds right for you especially if you've got a kid who likes this kind of thing clue treachery at tudor mansion very fun escape room board game kind of like the movie clue uh jason what's your one more thing Oh, man. Okay. My one more thing is a TV show, a limited series on Peacock. No, sorry. Yes. 
on yes, Peacock. You had it. Called Paul T. Goldman. And Paul T. Goldman is about a guy named Paul uh, Finkelman who goes by the name Paul T. Goldman. What? Um, <laughs> okay. All right. And that is the first of many deceptions that this guy may or may not be, uh, be pulling. So the premise of the show is that this guy, Paul, wrote a book called duplicity about that he says is a true story about his uh his this woman who he married and then turned out to be a con artist and conned him out of a bunch of money and then turned out to be part of a crazy underground sex ring that was like taking children and selling them as sex workers or something like that um And he, uh, after writing this book, which he self-published, he tweets at a hundred film directors trying to get one of them to make a movie based on a screenplay he wrote based on this book. And one of these directors, Jason Wallimer, bites and says, hey, I'm interested in in making your movie. Walliner, right? Walliner. Yes, Walliner. That's what I said. Um, I thought you said Murr. And uh, he spends the next 10 years from about 2012 until about 2022 Uh, both doing a mix of kind of like a documentary and a recreation. So he's both interviewing Paul C. Goodman in in various forms, following him around with cameras and Goldman Goldman. And uh, (laughs) he's both interviewing (laughs) Paul T. Goldman in various forms, following him around in the camera, getting him doing kind of studio interviews and also recreating scenes using actors, including Paul playing himself from this, uh, this screenplay that Paul has written. And as the show goes on, you start to wonder, hey, how much of this is the truth? Is this really a true story? Paul sure seems like a character. What's his deal? Does he, is he, is he, what is he exactly? Is he, whoa, he (laughs) seems kind of like a jerk. And then there are twists and turns along the way. And it's all, (laughs) all made clear. All is made clear by the end. Um, it's sort of like it's very much like the rehearsal. Um, I, I was Fielder. just gonna ask. It's that, very very it similar sounds... in that it's kind of like a documentary that is like questioning the nature of documentaries and and kind of playing with what's reality and what's not. Although I will say by the end it's a lot clearer what actually happened with this movie than with this series than it is with the rehearsal. Um, it's also got this like crazy compelling character at the middle of it in Paul, who is really just like um, this very kind of charming, um, possibly a sociopath dude who <laughs> is really compelling to watch. And it really, it, it's, it's an interesting watch because it's at times funny. It's um, smart. It's challenging sometimes to watch because uh, watching him kind of do some of the things he does or, or say some of the things he does can be like tough to watch. Um, and uh yeah it's it's really interesting and i really recommend it i highly recommend it to people because i found it really enjoyable and and thought provoking and um it's really a work of craft in that like this guy really spent jason wolliner really spent 10 years um piecing this thing together and the reason and they go through this in the in the series itself the reason that it took so long is because um his his story was rejected and they made a pilot and then there was like they tried to go on quibi which uh did not work out that part is very funny um and yeah it's really interesting and then um it winds up getting very meta in the last episode. Paul is shown some of the documentary work that has already been done. And I, I won't get into all the details cause I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but it really, it asks a lot of interesting questions and um, we'll leave you thinking uh, yeah. about huh. the nature of documentaries among other things. 
Yeah, I watched this too and, and finished it over the weekend. So Jason, you and I have been texting about it quite a bit. But so Jason Wallner, the director of Borat's subsequent movie film, it should mm-hmm. we should note, like he is, this is very much the waters that he likes to play in, this kind of mm-hmm. verite. Although he's been working on this one since 2012, so long, way longer. That was, that Borat movie was 2020. I just mean that is indicative of his, yeah, his sort style. of bent mm-hmm. as an artist and as a director. Yeah. His mm-hmm. sensibility, yeah. Um, so it has that same kind of feeling where, you're not sure who's being pranked and how you feel about it. There are definitely times watching it where I felt great pity for Paul um, T. Goldman, I guess, as he as he calls himself, who is a pitiable character and does seem somewhat delusional in that he believes these things that are clearly not true and can't like watching him reckon with reality is it's fascinating, but also uncomfortable. There were times where I'm like, I just feel like we're making fun of this guy who has some serious problems. But then there are other times where it's like, this guy is horrible and we're just indulging in his fantasies. So that's also awful. And then there are Mm -hmm. times where I'm just laughing and laughing because this is so ridiculous that it does a, a thing that is common to the rehearsal where they will be performing, uh, you know, the Hollywood lighting, they'll have the hair light and the mood lighting and the camera lens with the deep focus. And he'll be like, what are you telling me about the sex ring? She was running it this whole time. And then the next shot will pull out to like a documentary camera pointed at the set where there's like, you know, of things spraying fake rain on them and like the lighting mm-hmm. is all there and there's people standing around checking their phones. Uh-huh. And it was kind of constantly puncturing the fiction that is so obviously a real fiction that he's created. And that stuff is just, it is fascinating. I mean, it really is a work of craft, however complicated I might feel about it at times. Like I'm, in the end, I was like, I'm fine experiencing art that makes me feel a lot of different complicated mm-hmm. ways at different times. Mm-hmm. I really, yeah, I do recommend people watch it. And it's short too. It's like six episodes and they're like half an hour each. It's a pretty breezy watch and you'll probably want to watch the whole thing once you start it. Yeah, the last one is an hour. The the, the Some of the best moments are watching the director, Jason Walliner, just kind of his reactions to <laughs> Paul are, are Or like the actor who plays the director. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff where you're like, what am I watching? Right there now? is one clear villain to a point where I feel like it actually does a good in exposing them in the form of a psychic who is really just an like an unabashed like yeah, awful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who like really just like like takes this guy's money and leads him mm-hmm, on and, mm-hmm. and does some awful things, I think, and and is on camera and being interviewed quite a bit and very clearly awful. There's one incredible moment where um where she talks about how she can channel uh Abraham Lincoln and she g- gives quotes from Abraham Lincoln that nobody's heard before and someone talks about how profound <laughs> they are and then it sh- and, and then it shows one of the quotes and the quote is uh, this is me paraphrasing but the quote is essentially a great society is made up of good people <laughs> yeah it's I was trying to think what it was and that's yeah it's something like that and it's you're just like, like wow it yeah. <laughs> yeah. makes you think yeah. man <laughs> yeah really profound Crazy. Um, anyway I, I, we shouldn't spoil any more of this show yeah, yeah I want to watch it you should check it out, Maddie. You'd enjoy it for Paul sure. Paul T. Goldman. It's on Peacock. If you got Peacock to, to get Poker Face, you know I well, do. Uh, you know I do. Might as well watch it. Um, I'm, uh, we're already watching all of Below Deck on there. And yeah, I wish it got. <laughs> I wish it was getting more attention. I feel like it deserves more attention than it's gotten because it's really interesting. And the rehearsal, I know, resonated with a lot of people, and I think this will as well. Yeah, I think the rehearsal was big with the journalist sector, and this sounds like it would be too for exactly the same. Yeah, reasons. but it hasn't really been marketed, and Peacock is a tough, yeah. a tough one to get people on. But yeah, worth maybe it. less now. Maybe it could have. A, I mean, it's fairly recent, and because mm-hmm. of Poker Face, and then this yeah, upcoming Poker Face seems to be. Popular. 
popular. A couple yeah. other mm-hmm. cool upcoming shows that maybe mm-hmm. more people will watch it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll watch it, and that's going to really tip the scales. It's That'll just going to blow the, up the right after The triple click bump, the Manny Myers part. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's not us mentioning it on the show. It's me watching it that is yes, the triple yes. click bump. The Manny Myers that's, bump. Really. That's exactly. definitely what it exactly. is. Well, we've done it again. Another app. We completed Perfect Dark. The bet is complete, folks. We did. <laughs> well, one half of the bet. Now is we have complete. to play StarCraft too. Yes, that's That'll true. We do next. have to play StarCraft. A little StarCraft later too. in the year. The probably. humiliations have not yet ended. More multiplayer to come. <laughs> probably over the More summer. More bonage. I feel like in July we have a kind of a break between be big a games, time. so that would be a good mm-hmm. time to do it. But we'll talk yeah, about Yeah, that'll be later. great. We will. We will. Uh, and we'll also talk to each other again next week. So uh, yeah. we'll see you then, listeners. See yeah, you see you week. after Max Fun Drive starts. Woo! Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.